Hey everybody, welcome back to The Smattering, where we ask the hard questions about investing. I'm Jason Hall, joined by the voice of the people, Jeff Santoro. Hey Jeff. Hello friend, how are you? I'm fantastic. We just finished something that... Completely lost my train of thought there. So we just got off of a recording that's going to be this week's episode that I think maybe one of the more fun shows that we've done is our first celebrity interview. Yeah. So we had the comedian Mitch Fatel on to talk about investing because even though I thought we would just tell a lot of jokes and have a good time, which we did, he is super into investing. We, we spent an hour and talking it was about so investing. Cool. Yeah. It was, it was as if the three of us just met up at a bar talking about investing. It was great. It was, he was so open and honest about like, you know, his journey to figure out investing and all that kind of stuff. It was great. I really had a great time. Yeah, I did too. I think like the one takeaway for me and I, and I actually mentioned it kind of early and it really proved out was how, you know, in, in, in the world of investing, there are, there are celebrity endorsements for things and, and there's celebrity investors and all of that kind of stuff. But I think if you're investing, you're successful in some place in life, right? And I think it can be really helpful to get the insight and perspective of other people that have been successful in something in life and their investing journey, because it reminds you that we kind of all go through the same things together. Yeah. And, and near the end, one of the things that Mitch said, which I thought was great, was that he's because he came to investing later in his life, but got into comedy so early in his life, he's been able to see where the two things intersect now that he's like, you know, at this point. And I feel like that's something we've talked a lot about on the pod over the last several months is, you know, finding the places where what you do in your daytime life or, you know, with your kids or family or whatever, you find these intersections with investing and it, it can be sort of this fun thing you're interested in, but also, um, you can find the ways it connects to your regular life. So before, now that we've told everybody what they're going to hear before they can hear it, just want to let everybody know that we're going to put off our update of the smattering portfolio contest. We're going to do that next week. This is a pretty long conversation we have with Mitch. So just for brevity's sake, we're going to, we're going to do that next week. All right, everybody, on to, the, on to the conversation with Mitch. I'd have to say so far, this is probably, not even probably, without a doubt, this is my favorite show that we're going to do. I'm so happy to introduce my favorite comedian named Mitch, who's yeah. not dead. I'm sorry, you broke up for Mitch a second. Mitch Patel. <laughs> hey, so fast story out of the box about Mitch Hedberg. Mitch Hedberg is what you're, is yeah, what you're talking right, about. right. Fast story, just out of the box. Uh, 15 years ago, I'm starting to really rise as a comedian, and I get a call. Hey, uh, we want to do – it's a univer University of Arizona. We want to do a Mitch and Mitch show. We want uh, you to open and Mitch Hedberg will headline. And, uh, and, and there's going to be thousands of people there. So immediately, of course, as a comedian – you always have an ego. So I'm like, well, why am I not? Right, right. <laughs> why am I the first Mitch? But I'm like, all right. So uh, just, I guess just this can always come back to stocks about humbling yourself. So I show up and it's me and Mitch and uh, I go on and I'm supposed to do 30 and Mitch is supposed to do 45. And, uh, and I go on and I'm just, I'm slaying. I mean, I'm slaying. And in my head, which I'm so embarrassed to admit now, 
I'm going, there's nobody can follow me. This is going to be, I'm going to end the show. I'm going to bring up Mitch Hedberg and uh, they're going to have to just end the show. Cause I mean, I'm just killing. There's about 3000 people in the audience. And, uh, and I, and I'm, and I, and I finish and I go, all right, now I'm going to bring up your headliner. And I, I should have known by then the roar that happened. And I said, Mitch, one of my, the second, my second favorite Mitch, Mitch Hedberg came up within three seconds. The audience had forgotten that I had even been up there. <laughs> and not only that, but I was like, I kind of suck. Like, what? <laughs> like, I mean, like, it was me. It was like, it was like when you see an opening band and you're like, oh, they're, they're great. And then the headliner comes on and you're like, and I remember going like, oh, okay, there's levels. And I will never be that level. And I was happy to not be that That's level. Because I had never – it was amazing. And now I look back and I'm like, to just fanboy it. And I kind of liked being humbled. I think being humbled is a pretty good feeling actually. And, uh, and I remember thinking like, oh, okay, I, I, uh, I got handed my lunch that day. Well, well, we'll talk about some stocks that have handed probably all three of us our lunch as we get into that. So, again, Mitch Fattel here. Mitch, we're gonna we're, we're gonna talk about investing a lot here. Um, I'm gonna go back in time a little bit. I think it was 2021, early 2021. Out of nowhere, I got a, D, a DM from you on Twitter. Um, yeah, I had, had done. I was doing some some live stream programming for the Motley Fool for some of the higher level members uh, services, and you were a member. And you sent me a, a DM, right. like basically like a fan letter. Um, and my nice my response was like four words. It was like, oh, hey, thanks a lot. But in the yeah. background, I was like freaking the hell out. I was having like this, like I didn't literally didn't really know how to respond. Um, and here we are, you know, a couple years later. And the interest, the thing that's interesting, and, and you know, I want to start with your story as a comedian and like kind of like your arc and how it led you yeah. to, to kind of find your footing as a really, from everything that you and I and Jeff have, have talked about, being a really active stock picker and actively making your own investing decisions. I want to talk about that journey. One of our colleagues did a, who writes, a, he writes, uh, Lou Whiteman, you may, know, you may have said, seen some of Lou's work before. Um, he has a, a, a blog that he does, and he wrote a great post recently, and, it was, and the headline of the post was Staring at Bottoms. And part of it was talking about like timing the market, but he was also talking about yeah. like celebrity endorsements of financial right. products. And he was one of the things he, he wrote up was this story talking about how somebody, some financial firm, like they were doing a, a show and one of the headliners was an adult film star and another yeah. adult film star and then a third adult <laughs> film star that they were having talking about like their business building and all of their investing and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah. I wanted to preface that with, and this is the reason I think this is going to be compelling to talk to you is everybody that listens to this podcast has had some level of success in something, right? And then they want to take that success and they want to build durable, sustainable wealth on top of right. it. Right. Yes. Yes. So all of that to say, Let's go back to your beginning. Well, well, first I want to say that when I sent you that, I don't know if you guys know this or not, uh, but when someone joins The Motley Fool, they're usually joining because they're learning to invest for the first time. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you find the guys that you like, 
which were really right off the bat, it was you and Brian Feraldi that I just loved listening to. And you used to do, I don't know if you still do it or not, kind of a final four thing with different stocks you were yep. picking. And I was, and I found that so compelling and you and Brian became kind of rock stars to me. I was, because when, what I learned is when someone can make you money, they become your favorite human being in the world immediately. <laughs> it's just, it's that simple. Yeah. We're that simple of a human yeah. being that I was like, and, and you had picked some of my favorites and they had done really well. And so you, so that's why I, I was, I used to not miss anything that you did. You and Brian, I used to watch, uh, you know, and we could talk about the picks that I got from both of you guys. Cause you're not as high on my list as you used to be, but uh, no, you are, you are, but I, I'm interested in, first, I have a question for you guys. I'm interested in your opinion because uh, I know what I think about this. Do you think it is better because when I wrote you that, we were in a bull market. And my question to you is, uh, do you think it's better? Because I was learning from scratch. I had never invested a cent in my yeah. life. Actually, it's not true. I'll go back 25 years with a great story for you before that. But I was just a dumb comedian that had a savings account. When COVID hit, I was like, maybe I should learn to do something with my money because I had I didn't know what to do with it I just kept it in a bank account I had no idea at that time that you'd be losing money every year that was a phenomenal concept so, Mitch, ba- basically I- you're you're Jeff Santoro Toro, except for very very funny right yeah that was my journey too but I'll let you tell your story oh okay yeah yeah <laughs> uh well you know I I absolutely had no idea and uh, so my question to you first was both of you guys, do you think it is better to learn how to invest in a bull market or a bear market? I, I'll go first because I think about this a lot. I, I've told this story on the podcast a million times, so I won't go through the whole thing. So I always invested in like just my retirement account for my day job, right. but I never bought an individual stock until February of 2020. So even a little bit, yeah. Even like a little bit before the pandemic, and then it was the time the pandemic gave me that fueled like my obsessive need to learn everything about it. Right. So I was buying all through 2020 and 2021, where everything went up, and it was you know, and I think I'm glad I did that, and I'm also glad I was a little bit older when I went through that because I think me at 22 figuring that out, I would have thought I was the world's greatest stock picker because when I was 22, I thought I was the world's greatest everything. Right. Um, so having some age on me allowed me to not get too ahead of myself. Yeah. But I. But then on the other hand, too, like I, it kind of spoiled me a little bit. So when we hit twenty twenty two, I was like, wait a minute, everything I'm doing is now wrong. Um, I don't know, but I, I don't know, I don't have anything to compare it to. I guess kind of like you don't either, Mitch. Like I, that's when I started, so I don't know what it's like to like if I had started this year, last year, I don't know how my how I would have approached it differently. Well, I think that it's. Better to start, and I've thought about this a lot, I think it's better to start in a bull market because you get more of the high that you then chase after losing it all. You know, so, so, so because I know that my in-laws, who I now invest all their money because I actually turned out to be decent at this, but they little did they know I was just buying the stocks Jason and Brian were telling me to buy <laughs> – so I looked like a genius back in 20, right after COVID, because everything you bought, I remember going like, this is the easiest thing yeah. in the world. Why have I not been doing this my whole life? I'd be a multi-billionaire right because now. Because 80% of um, stocks don't normally go up for a full year. Go up. Right. <laughs> but you could not buy anything back in 
well, I guess it was April or May of 2020 without it going yeah. up. Now, the bottom was March 23rd. So, had, so April 2020 was like a generationally good time to be buying stocks. I remember buying my first stock. It was NVIDIA that you guys had recommended. And it went up. I made 14 grand in a day. And I was like, well, comedy's old. I'm not doing that anymore. I was like, this is too easy. <laughs> I'm going to stay home and buy more. And you couldn't do comedy then either. You couldn't go. You couldn't. No, you couldn't. I was stuck. I mean, literally, that's why I learned to invest. They say that a lot of good stuff comes from bad events. And what I did is I literally was like, I have no, I can't work. I'm going to learn how to invest my money. I had no idea. I had amassed a decent sum of money for somebody who had barely any uh, skills and I had some money. And, uh, and so I, you know, so, so, so I do know that when I saw NVIDIA, I bought it and I made literally $14,000 in two days. And I said, uh, okay, this is, and that high, mm-hmm. I hit that high. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and then I, I, I credit Morgan Housel with me being the investor that I am today because I joined Motley Fool to learn what stocks to buy, but I quickly learned that the stocks themselves weren't what made a good investor. Right. It's it's learning. It was learning mindset. It, it's amazing because I remember they used to have these on Motley. They'd have the mindset sessions, and I remember going like, "Stop wasting my time. Just tell me what stocks to buy. I don't need my mindset." Because I thought, "Well, what mindset do you need? Everything goes up. It doesn't make a difference." Right. Uh, I've obviously bored Jason enough that he's <laughs> Jason's like I'm out. He's done. No, he's done with no, this. I, this is something. This is something, Mitch. That since this is going back, so I actually started as 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 you know from hearing me on the live streams. But this book I'm holding up. Yeah, I bought this book when yeah. I was. I think I was just still a member. It's Warren Buffett. Nothing like holding up a picture for people listening to a podcast. Um, yeah, great Warren job. Buffett invests like a girl, and why you should too. But it's all about yeah. like it's it's it's. Not even just the mindset, but it's like, it's the intestinal fortitude part of it. And this is like, there's a sentence that I've come up with that I think sums this up better than anything. And there's a lot more very smart investors than there are very successful investors. That's a great sentence. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's what I, that's what I, I had the, I had the fortune of all my money going up real fast and then going, well, I have nothing else to buy. I buy everything I buy goes up. Let me listen to some of these other podcasts on Motley Fool. And I listened to a couple of Morgan Housel's, a couple of mindset things. And I started to learn that like, oh, wait a second. Well, first I remember going like, well, it's never going to go down. The number one lesson I learned was I thought when things go up that like that's your money. You made money. Like that's it. They don't come back down. Like why would they come back down? (laughs) It didn't make any sense to me at all. I thought like, oh, look, I bought that and it went up. Maybe it'll go up more, but I, but it'll stay right there. So when things started tanking, it was only listening to Morgan Housel, who if you ever speak to him, please thank him for me, that I remember him saying so much of like, it is so hard. I, I, he said something about the – oh, I remember he said that the human brain wants to fix things when, they, when they're going wrong. But with investing, fixing things means almost leaving it alone. Yeah. If you've done your research – and the stocks that you like, and the story hasn't changed. It's that, and and, and I and when I when I first had and Jeff, I'm assuming you had that too. That first panicked feeling where you're like, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to get a waiter job. Like I don't know how I'm losing everything, and if I don't take it out, I'm an idiot. 
And it was only Morgan Housel. I'd listened to him so many times and, and, and remember all these things about him saying, you're, you're, you're going to want to fix it. You're going to want to fix it. And, the, and that's how you ruin a good investor is you either trust yourself that what you bought for three to five years is going, you believe in it or you don't. And I said, well, I believe in these stocks. And I'm going to hold through it. And sure enough, they started to rebound. And, uh, and, and, and now I'm kind of basically, you know, still a decent amount up, but I'm definitely not down, but I would have panicked. So all, everything I, everything I spent on learning these things paid off in learning that you, part of investing is doing nothing. It's the most important, hardest part. And man, I'm proud of myself for that because I know that like, what I didn't also realize, and you guys know this, you've been investing a lot longer than me, is the noise you start hearing from outside of everybody screaming for you to sell. The world is ending. Everybody's panicking. And, and you literally, you have to have, and I credit myself with the fact that as a comedian, I had to go through so much and so much, so much gut-wrenching stuff and still keep getting up on stage. That's the only way you can make it as a comedian. There was so much misery that I went through but I'd get back up the next day and go back on stage. And that inner fortitude is what kept me from really like throwing, not throwing up when I was like, when I saw it just tanking, because I literally was like, you know, and, and so this is why getting back to it, I think that investing in a, learning to invest in a bull market was, a, was ultimately a good thing because I know that my, my mother-in-law learned to invest in a bear market. She lost so much money. She said, I put in $10,000. I lost $5,000 within a couple of days. And I was just like, this isn't for me. And she right. got out. And I could see that happening to oh, a yeah. lot of people. Yeah. At least I had that high of like, oh, okay, it does go up. But I'm proud of myself then that I had done the research to learn, well, what makes a good investor? And it was the inner fortitude that you spoke of. Yeah. I, I That last thing you said, I had a family member with a similar situation, bought like only bought like one or two stocks and just randomly happened to buy Cisco. If you look at the Cisco chart from like the 90s, early 2000s, it's like right at the top, yeah. bought the stock one time there. And it, yeah, to this day, down. it is not back to that right, price. Right, and it wasn't yeah. until a couple of years ago that I convinced this person to like, here's how you have to do it. You got to buy more than one. You have to buy more than one, one time, <laughs> you know, yeah. but it, but it ruined, it ruined her forever on investing until, you know, for, for yeah. 20 years. So it's amazing when that lesson goes into your head, how hard it is to break out of that. And, and, you know, I just, the human mind is fascinating. And I think that that's why I've learned to love investing so much is because it is life. It is like, you know, you, you want to fix things instead of just sticking with them. And that if things don't go exactly your way immediately, I mean, I know that when you start out in stand up comedy, you know, bringing it back to comedy, that what you don't realize is, it's very similar to stock picking. I, I've talked to more comics than I than not, whose their first time was fantastic. My first time on stage, I did great, and then tanked after that. It's almost like that beginner's luck. The energy is there, and you're like, "This is so easy," and then it's going through that period of you know horrifying loss, which is what stand-up comedy was for me at first. I mean, there was just a lot of like gut-wrenching, gut-wrenching like failures, but wanting to do it so badly. And so it's almost like you need that first high to get you through the bad times. I, I, I fear if people don't have that first high in things, it, 
it's taught me in life that no matter what I do, don't judge yourself until you've been doing it a couple of years because you really have no idea if you're good or not at anything until you've really done it. You know, you can't ever judge yourself because if I had judged myself by Cisco instead of NVIDIA, NVIDIA actually made me think I can do this. Yeah. But thank God it was NVIDIA. What if it wasn't? What, you know, what if? Yeah. You could, you could have bought, and then once you you could have bought C drill. (laughs) I don't even know what that is, but let me write that down. Well, it's like once you, once you can get over, once you get the mindset piece nailed down where you sort of understand that the ups and downs are part of it, you have that mental memory of when it was like crazy good. And you know, at some point it'll be like that again and you'll be even better prepared for it. Like, that's what I think about a lot. Like 2020 and 2021, Maybe not for that long of a time at that trajectory, but we'll see that again at some point, God willing, if I live long enough. Right. Um, and yeah. and now I know sort of how to like, I know that that's there, so it helps me stomach when it's down a little bit more. If that makes any sense. Yeah, of course it does. And 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 not only that, but I think also you learn. I don't know about you, but the other thing I learned was that when I thought I was too smart. And I would say like, this is up and I'd sell what I learned. And I taught people this, this is why I don't touch anything anymore. <laughs> I, I, I bought the stocks that I love and, it, and I'm dying with them. And there are 20 stocks that I've pared down to my favorites, 21 with, with uh, my, I have one special one, which I'll talk about. But what I learned is that um, I, I think that the, that the pain of selling a stock too fast and then watching it skyrocket up far outweighs the joy of getting out of a stock early enough that you're like, Oh good. I, I got, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like to watch a stock go up that you just sold, I think is like, I think I'd, I think I'd rather like, um, you know, see my house burn down than, <laughs> than like watch a stock that I owned that I sold to. You, you have a much bigger portfolio yeah. than Jeff and I do. If that's, if that, that's <laughs> good. Um, we talk, one of the things we talk about, Mitch on, on here is the, a toolbox, like building a toolbox that you use. And like all of these things, like the investor psychology are major, major parts of it. Like a lot of things you're talking about there. And this is like, so thinking about like my experience and history of for somebody getting started, when is the best time to get started? Like I think about, so you talk about like investing in a, like in the middle of a bear market, a big market crash. Right. And the two obvious examples to the coronavirus, you know, in 2020, and then going back to the financial crisis, they were so damn different though. You know, the, the peak was February 20th and the bottom was March 23rd, right? The market fell like almost 35%. That was like the fastest 30% drawdown, like ever. Like it's, it's crazy that that happened in 2020. Yeah. And that was right after learning to invest during everything going up. So it was frightening to see that drop and go, well, it's, I, I guess that's it. Like that's my payback for right. thinking I was good at this is I'm going to lose everything now if I don't get it. If you go back to the global financial crisis, it was two and a half. It was like two years. It was like 19 months from the peak to the very bottom, right? And then from the peak to like full recovery was five and a half years, right? Right. So yeah. they're so different. Um and like I kind of cut my teeth. I really started paying attention in like 2006, 2007. Started really like, all right, I got to be a grown up. I'm here, so envious you know? of you that you got involved back then, though. That because because I, I just 
I look at every, I, I look at envy now. I mean, everybody starts. Th- everybody has one thing that they started early that other people are envious for them for. Yeah. I started stand up comedy when I was fifteen years old. People go, oh my god, what would I have done if I started fifteen? I mean, I was so ahead of everybody when I got to twenty five, twenty six. I'd started when I was fifteen. I knew so much. And now I look at guys like you and I'm so envious and I'm like, what would it have been like to start investing at that point? I didn't know. I had no idea what investing was. Right. And if I had been, and that gives me, that causes me a lot of pain. In my life. But, the, but here's the thing about it. Think about 15 year old Mitch Fatel versus Mitch Fatel, the age you were when you started buying stocks, you weren't the same person. You know what I mean? It's all of the layers right, of but experience and knowledge. Wonderful. And you know, it's, so it's, 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 I get what you're saying, but it's really hard. I try not to think about things that way right. because it's so easy, it's that, that FOMO, right? Because it gets back to that. It's, 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 yeah. that's, it's that same, that same thing. And the, yeah. the market, the environment that I've kind of learned in was very different than the market that you and that Jeff have learned in, um, just in terms of like the velocity of, of the way things happened. Um, and honestly, I think my answer to this one is directionally, I think it's bad. It is definitely better to start in a bull market. Number one, you're more likely to because stock, the market tends to go up about two thirds of the time and only fall about one third of the time, like actual days. That's the long term, right. right? So directionally, you're probably going to start investing in a bull market just based on the numbers. And it is definitely healthier. But I think the real answer is you need to start now, right? Whenever that is. For most people. So, Jason, I have, I have a question for you. So, so, you've seen it enough, I guess, to know that. So, does the noise scare you anymore? Meaning that what I was not prepared for was all the. I guess there wasn't YouTube back then, but I. But maybe there were different ways. The constant, like, sell it all now. It's about to crash. That worst crash of all time. Like, I didn't, I didn't realize that that noise was going to be hitting you oh, so yeah. much. Yeah, it does. And, it's, and so are you used to that noise? Does that noise even register to you anymore? It's tough because I'm part of the noise, Mitch. Let's be honest. Um, yeah. But you're not screaming. No, no. We t- t- I take advantage of it. But I think I take advantage of it in ways that lead people like down the path that you've gone, right? The, the healthy, smart way to actually build sustainable wealth in a way that makes your life better, right? That, that whole Motley Fool, right. you know, smarter, happier, richer right. thing. I, I believe it, right? right. Um, but I guess I'm being a little tongue in cheek, but like, I think like what's changed for me with, with regards to like thinking about all of the noise is like follow the money, right? Number one. And where does the noise come from? It comes from people that have whatever their financial motivations are. If it's CNBC, they want eyeballs on screens because that drives ad revenue, right? right. If it's your broker, the more trading volume there is, if you're Robin Hood, well, they're going to get that, you know, they sell the transactional, they sell the volume, right? They sell the trading volume. Um, other ones, they want right. more clients, right? They, they can make a little bit of money. Um, so like everybody's trying to make money off of volume. The one person that doesn't yep. make money yep. on volume, the data is hundred percent clear on is you and me, right? We don't make money on it. I, I, it just makes me laugh. And Jeff, I wonder if you've had the same experience. If I, if I told you the amount of times that I saw headlines on YouTube and stuff that said like, we're all going to be wiped out. 
that I mean, and you just start going like, okay, I don't, I don't care how many times I listen to Morgan Housel, I got to get out. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I almost just made that decision. It's almost like jumping. It's that faith. I was like, I'm going to be willing to lose it all because if not, if I'm not in my head going like, I'll figure it out, then I'm not, then I'm not meant to do this because if, if, if every headline says we're going to get wiped out and I'm assuming they, you, you've heard that word, that, that term, even back in the 2007, 2006, am I right? I mean, I, oh yeah. Because I don't know why. Yeah. But that term just scares the shit out of everybody. Wiped yeah. out. And I've heard that more than enough. And and that's enough to make you go like, I can't do this. And I think what helped, I think what helped me was for whatever reason, as soon as I started learning about all this, I was sort of predispositioned to think like, there's no way a person on TV is right because they wouldn't be on TV telling me this. They'd be somewhere else on an island because they would have called every other bear market and bull market and they'd be bazillionaires. So I don't know. I guess I had I had a good enough bullshit meter that like – but what did get me when I first started because I found – I mean I've always been on Twitter professionally and personally. But like I made a new account to do like stock stuff and I started following stock people Right. And that was sort of that. That was where I got bombarded with like rocket ship emojis and you know to the moon and this and that. Right. But I got and then I sort of and then when I saw like after things the winds changed and I saw all those people got real quiet. I was like, okay, so I got to you know that's something I can now put aside. What I think is harder is when people you trust and respect who are still very good investors and and not fear mongerers or anything like that. But we're all humans, right? So people do get swept up in the thing of the day. Um, I think that's what I struggle with even more is like when it when people that I do respect who are not crazy say like, oh, this thing or that thing, but they're all hyped up too because it's 2020 and it's 2021 and things are kind of going up. Like that's where it gets really hard, I think, is it's when the people that you aren't the noise but still sort of get caught up in the in the FOMO a little bit. Right, I, I feel like that's my biggest challenge. Is it, your biggest challenge is not going along with that FOMO that everybody else is getting, right? Especially or at least when being, it's people that you tend to that have you, that you that you you respect, right? And that you have that credibility, with. right? Yeah, right. Yeah, that I yeah that I agree with too. Is there's a, there's a lot of stocks that I you know if I liked a guy, he said he likes this one, and I just loaded the boat on it and then watched it tank. And then I was like, shame on me for not doing my research and just saying like, well, if that guy likes it, I bought, you know, and the other thing that I'm sure that you are very familiar with Jason, that was very new to me was the, was pump and dumps. I had no idea that that existed. I just thought someone went on and told me what stock to buy. And, you know, next thing I know, I freaking was like, okay, you know, my child's college is on BNGO. <laughs> I'm like, because it had rockets and stuff, and so, you know, and then all of a sudden I was like, "Well, wait, it's not supposed to go down now." And 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 since I bought everything in a bull market, that was a wonderful, wonderful lesson. Wonderful lesson, and uh, and, and 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 I and I've learned that too. So you know, God knows how many times now I've even my friends have given up calling me and telling me what stock to buy because they know I won't do it. Um, cause I, cause I just, you know, and I think the other mindset that I learned is you, you, and I have a gambler's mind. I love gambling and I had to discern that investing is not right. gambling. You, I had to get that at, if you want to gamble, freaking watch a baseball game. This is a nice right. slow burn of companies that you love, companies that you believe in. Some are going to work, some aren't, but you're not going to get, 
you're probably not going to get that gambling high. And if you do want that gambling high, then investing is really not your no, thing. No, that's not even the know, thing if you're, if you're a successful trader. The successful traders are the ones that are completely immune to like that chemical yeah. response. They can be disciplined day to day and not freak out and ride the wave right. of their emotions to, to losses. Yeah. And boy, those emotions get you because, you know, when I was not prepared for this, I had bought Shopify and I, and then I made a couple of bucks and I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to sell it now. Cause I just made a couple thousand dollars and I sold it and watched it go up another $200. And I was like, no, I got to get back in it right. and got back right. in it. And then, and then, and then all of a sudden it came down and I was like, this is, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to have an early grave if I keep doing this. And that's why I was like, you know, uh, <clears throat> one of your founders, um, I think, believe it was Tom, said that, uh, you know, you have to have the mentality to not check your stocks every day. You have to try and, you know, and, and I and I tried to do it every six months. And I was like, well, that's insane. So now I'm up now. I'm like every Saturday morning. Oh, I love it. I love I it. Pick up, a day the market's closed. That's get my coffee, uh, t- close the door. And I and I go look at my portfolio, and it's it's probably, unfortunately, to admit this, maybe my age, it's maybe the best time of the week for me, <laughs> whether it's up or down. I just love like I like go and I and I have a a, a chart, and it tells me what did be best for for the five days that I didn't, you know, and and uh, I, and that's my system because I was driving myself crazy. Yeah, I I've heard people say, especially if you're a new investor, like. You shouldn't check your portfolio every day and don't obsess over it. But of course I did because yeah. I was new. Totally. And I actually think I don't like that advice because that obsessive like checking it all the time I did when I was really new was actually helpful for me because I learned things like, oh, just because this went up 5% today, that's a normal thing sometimes. And it'll go down 8% another day. And that right. happens sometimes. Yes. Like You learn like, oh, right. this something really can go up. Uh, 80% in a day. I mean, I know that's very rare, but like you learn that those things happen and why they happen. But then after, but then you have to also be disciplined enough to not act on all of that. You have to just sort of be a passive observer. Yeah. Um, but now I'm at the point sort of like you are where it's like, like on the weekend, I'll check in and, and see how things did. But I, so I wanted to ask you something, Mitch, because you were sure. talking about it and it jumped into my head because we were talking about noise and how you block it out and all that. So, and you said something like, I'm not going to, by the thing without, you know, shame on me for not doing my own research or whatever. So what do you do now? Like when a new idea comes across your, your plate or you hear, you know, Jason talk about a stock on Motley Fool Live and obviously that's a sell signal, but, um, what do you do now to like do your own research and then to make that decision? So it is yours and not someone else's. Yeah. Well, so I'll be, I'll be very honest. And, and, and I felt comfortable with this cause I talked to Brian Feroldi about it personally. Uh, I am not a numbers guy. I don't, and I'm so embarrassed to admit this. I, I have a really funny story. I, I was doing so good. I was doing so good. All I've ever done my whole life is write jokes. That's all I've ever done. I, since I was 15 years old, it's how I, what I know how to do. Started investing money. Started doing pretty good. Buying stocks that I knew that uh, people that I respected liked. Uh, I went into a gym one day and I, I, I said to someone, um, and it was at the time when Palantir was the big mm-hmm. stock to buy. Palantir was going to go to the moon. So I told a guy, blow the boat on Palantir. <laughs> I do what I was doing. 
And I remember the guy saying to me, how's their balance sheet? And I literally was like, great balance sheet. And I went home that day and Googled what a balance sheet is. I had no idea what it was. Because <laughs> I was like, I didn't want to look at any data. I was like, oh, their balance sheet. It's the best balance sheet you've ever seen. Because so, 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 so what I will say is that I don't know numbers. I don't. I, and and it, has, it has helped me immensely and hurt me immensely. And it's just evened out because the way I, the way I pick my stocks now, I had – well, the first problem I did was uh, I started buying everything that everybody I liked liked. So if Jason was on and said, uh, this, uh, this is a good one, blah, 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 I bought – so all of a sudden one day I realized I had 96 stocks. And I just laughed because I was like, I can't – how could you – it's – how could you possibly keep track of 96 stocks? You just, you can't. And, I, I, you know, I mean, I, I guess everybody has their number, but I said to myself, what do I love doing? What do I love doing? How do I know if I like a company or not? And it came down to if I liked listening to their earnings calls, if I just liked the earnings calls, I liked what the CEO talked about and stuff. And I literally just... All my stocks are stocks that I'm like, I like, I'm excited to listen to that earnings call. And so my number two holding, which was looked like a failure for a while, was TMDX. Do you guys are you familiar with TMDX? I think Jason's might be more familiar with, with it than I am. I know the ticker, but I don't follow Transmetics. it. Transmetics. Yeah, I don't. Their headquarters is like 15 minutes from my house, by the way. Well, go by and thank them for all the money that they've made me because uh, – <laughs> Transmedics makes a heart, a heart transplant machine that keeps the heart alive for like 24 hours. Right. And I remember it was this new technology and I remember listening to the earnings call because this is one of the ones because uh, Brian Feroldi had done a show on two, two biotechs that you should look into. Uh, th- three. One was Dermtech, mm-hmm. one was Transmedics. And one was something that I didn't buy. Anyway, I love Dermtech and I love Transmedics. Ironically, I put the same amount of money into them now, into them at the time. Transmedics is now my number two holding and Dermtech is my right. last holding. Right. They literally went in, in d- totally d- divergent ways. But, but the reason why I liked them was I loved their earnings calls. I loved what the, the guy from Transmedics, I just loved the way he talked and it was mesmerizing to me. So I was like, I like that. I like the way Dermtech cooks. So is it a smart way? Well, one of them's tanked, Dermtech. I mean, who knows how long it's tanked for. I don't know if it can go back up. I bought it in an insane amount of money at what it is now. But Transmedics is up almost 300% for me. So, so when you look at, and this is another thing I learned from you guys that I want to thank you for is that like, it's the totality. Right. It's if you're looking at one or two stocks, you know, you kind of go the, the, the ones that you were wrong on faded into oblivion. You know, uh, Jason, what I, what I have to thank you guys for more than anything. And I just, just as a word to you, like what you help a lot of people with without realizing it is more your failures than your successes to see the guys that I respected saying, I was wrong on this one, this one, blah, 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 and almost be able to laugh about it taught me that like, oh, okay, you, you, you can't beat yourself up. You almost have to learn that like, uh, big miss on that one, but boy, I got that one to make up for that. And that's, I, I, I learned that from Warren Buffett, to be honest. I really, I really did. I think if, if you, number one, I think if you, if you, if you don't, if you don't have the confidence to talk about your mistakes, then you don't have humility yeah. and you probably are not half as good as you, as you, as you think you are because you're hiding your failure. Right. 
Um, I th- yeah, yeah. I think it also, and that's and something. Was- I, 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 not to make this like a Motley Fool fanboy show, but I I will say the whole keeps keeping score and being transparent yeah. thing, you know, yes. is is one of the reasons I am happy to be a contractor for the company and like I believe what they because because again, if you go back to like the noise cycle of like Twitter and stuff, you see tons of people bragging about the the, the stock they bought and how it's gone up. You very rarely see people be like. I was totally wrong about this. You know, they, they don't tell the derm tech story. They tell the transmedic right. story. Right. right. So yeah, um, yeah. we've done, like, you know, we've but, done but like I think, entire podcasts about mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. And those are, people don't realize that, you know, and it's one of the greatest lessons of life. And I try to teach it to my son, my dad, if I could go back, God bless his soul. And the one thing my dad didn't do for me. And I think this is what we pass on to our kids is he didn't teach me, and I'm, I've told my wife this, that I want to teach my son that failure is beautiful. Yeah. Failure is one of the greatest things that can happen to you because you don't learn without it. It is just such a beautiful process. And that Derm Tech story, to watch it go down when I thought, I mean, and I was sick to my stomach. And it made, but then when Transmatics went up and I was like, yeah, that's that's the that's the ball game. Right. You know, and, 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 and one of the things I had heard the people I respect say was your winners keep winning and the losers just kind of fade into oblivion. And that's kind of what's happened with Derm Tech. As a matter of fact, uh, not to keep fanboying on Brian Feroldi, but I become quite friendly with him. And when Derm Tech tanked so much, I called him up and said, did I just lose on this? Should I just sell it Is it at this point and just say I lost on it? And he said to me, is it worth anything to you anymore? And I said, there's just so little left of what I put into it. He said, so he said, I would recommend, and of course, Brian's one of those guys that goes, I would do this, but I'm not telling you to, to say like, keep it because that's your, that's your in lesson to look back at that and go, you know, okay, this is the one I lost on to remember. Yeah. He said, is it going to make any difference if you sell it? And I was like, I, I could go buy a couple of, you know, sticks of bubble gum with it, <laughs> but, I, but I kept it in because he said that. And ironically, it went up 200% yeah. a month. Yeah. So now I could buy like a whole, whole, you know, a whole thing of gum. It was pretty <laughs> nice, exciting. Nice. But, but just the fact that I was like, well, where else are you going to get a 200% return in a month? So if I had sold it, I would probably put it into Google, which I thought that doesn't go down. And now I've lost money with Google. So, yeah. so just the market will humble except you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, and there's just a beauty in saying, accept your failures and celebrate your wins and and don't get too carried away either way. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I'm a, actually I want to read a line from the Buffett's annual letter just came out this past Saturday, and I've probably read it a thousand times. But there's a, there was a paragraph in here at the opening that like he talks about essentially. I'm going to paraphrase it, but he, at the beginning he says uh, that the portfolio is essentially made up of a few extraordinary winners, some pretty good companies, and a bunch of right. mediocre companies. Right. That's wow. maybe the best investor of, of, of most of our lifetimes. Yeah. And that's what he's saying. And he ends one wow. of the kind of main sections of it with the lesson for investors. And this is exactly what you said, but this is Warren Buffett's word. So Mitch, basically you're, you're, Warren, you're Warren Buffett just starting a little bit later in life. The weeds wither away in significance as the flowers bloom. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think that you, and then, and then the other thing that, and I think this is a gardener line and re, tell me if I, it is, or it was plagiarized by him. 
which is the winners keep winning. You know, and that's the other thing that's like, yeah, I, that's Dave, David Garner. Yeah. 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 I, I, I really love that. And I want to thank him for that as well, because I really thought that like, I'm not smart enough to say like, this is the top, let me get out. But because that's what I did with Shopify and watched to go up another 200 and then it came down five. It's just like, and I was just like, I'm not, and none of us are smart enough to figure that out. I mean, I have, it's ironic because I'm a comedian, but here, here's a really cute, ironic point. My dad was a market timer. Um, uh, my dad, when he that he used to work at a place called wall street advisory service and he did market timing and, and ironically, you know, my dad wasted a lot of people's time because what I learned is my dad, you know, I, I love him to death, but like he basically just wastes everybody's time. If he had just left the money, it probably would have done the same over the same amount of time. But he used to do that whole, like the, the, what do they call the Bollinger balls and bars and all that the crap. The Bollinger band, yeah. 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 And, uh, and I think in an odd sort of way that that takes the joy out of investing. Because what I love about investing is it is free form. It's, sometimes it's just an intuition. You can't, you, know, you can't go with like, well, this is where the bottom, the top, and the valuations and stuff. I think that you just go like, these are the stocks that I love and I'm going to live or die with them. And I think – Nine times out of 10, if you can stick with that strategy and stick to that mindset, you'll do good in investing, I think. One of the things that helped me when I first started, I, I, I thought of it, so if I had 20 stocks, I thought of it as 20 individual like games I was trying to win, right? Like I needed yeah. all 20 to be winners to prove <laughs> that I am good at right. this. And <laughs> what I started to learn was, like, and I know this is, I, I didn't learn it necessarily from Jason because I would never give him that credit. But one, one thing we've talked about a lot is like, what is your goal? Right. So, like, once I shifted my mindset to be like, my goal is that at some point I'll be able to stop working and then have enough money to live for decades. Right. And if I'm 80 on a beach living off my portfolio, it, I'm not going to sit there and go, you know, oh man that one stock didn't, you know, no, I'm going to, I'm going to look at that dollar amount yeah. <laughs> that I have to withdraw from. So I started focusing on like, you know, the bottom of your brokerage account where it's like total, total gain, total loss. Yeah. Like to yeah. me, like that's the number and yes. it's less about all the individual. On the, on the other, on the other hand, I could be 80 back in New York city living in a box. And as everybody goes by, I scream out derm tech at them like a <laughs> madman. <laughs> I think you should do that regardless, Mitch, like no matter how this turns out. And there's some weird guy just yelling derm tech over and over. That's awesome. Now I'm, now I'm thinking about the, the, the scene from uh, Coming to America where Eddie Murphy, have you, have you seen, so or what's the, Not what's the, the Eddie Murphy trading, so the trading places, right? With the yeah. two, the two white guys. Running it. And then in Coming to America, he throws the money down to the two homeless guys. And it's the two oh, brothers the guys from trading places. From yeah. oh, trading funny. places. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I imagine you're that's yeah. you. You're laying there and somebody throws money down to well, you. Well, you know, and 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 that is it is crazy how your friends and your wife and people who don't really understand investing start saying to you, like, well, what's gonna happen if it all tanks? And 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 what I what I really had a joy in saying is I was like, if it really does go, if the if if the United States is ending as we know it. And the fact that I own Derm Tech is going to be the least. You of have our much problems. bigger problems. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. At that point. Yeah. And so I was like, so if you're talking a couple of bucks here, and you know, I, I'm with you, Jeff. My goal is to get to that wealth point. 
but I've also slowed it down now and understood that like good investors, I, I really, really had to get out of that gambling mindset. And that's why I stopped looking at my portfolio every day. Cause then it turned into like looking at the sports scores and, you yeah, know, and yeah. I, was like, I do have a gambling side of me. My dad had it. And I think genetically I have it. And so I'll, I'll bet on an MMA fight now. And that just ha- makes me happy. It's $50 and I'm happy with that. And that takes care of that. And my investing is now my second job because I just enjoy it so much. All right. I want to, I want to ask you a question and take this in a slightly different direction because when I when we first connected and I was thinking about having you on, I, this is like the first thing I thought of. So, yes, you came to all this investing stuff recently, and you've been a comedian for a really long time. So you spent yeah. a lot of time with other comedians around other comedians. So when you run into like when you go do a show now and you run into other comedians and you're just you know hanging out talking, and you mention that like you're into investing like do you just get like blank stares are you the outlier in that field or do or do other people get into this too like i'm just curious like what that what that dynamic is like yeah uh comedians tend to be dumb people now what i mean is and i was part of that uh we're smart in one thing you know we live for the laugh we live for the laugh and i think that We'd not, we would not have become successful stand-up comedians if we had thought logically because, because you logically don't get into that career yeah, if right. you want to be – you know when, when, I, when I look back, it was my idealism that made me a successful stand-up comedian. It was my idealism of saying I'm, I'm going to make it as a stand-up comedian and when everybody told me I wouldn't, and I would say that that's so silly. I literally thought that was silly. Like, of course, I'm going to make it as a famous stand-up comedian because I just knew I was. But but now that I'm older, if my son came to me and told me he wanted to do stand-up comedy, I would kick the shit out of him <laughs> and say, this is the stupidest thing you could ever do. You know, and I think that it's like it didn't give me so, – so what I'm getting at is, no, most comedians don't think about their futures. I, I honestly think I never would have thought about my future if I had – not had a child and a wife. I blame them for domesticating me because I, I was, I could have been, I mean, I made a lot of money. This is what's when you're a successful stand-up comedian, you tend to make a lot of money real fast. And so you lose, you you go from, you go from small venues to big venues and TV specials and record deals, like all that stuff. Right. And it happens you could well, you could be is, touring for twenty years, right? And then within a year, you're making a ton of money, right? Is that kind of that's it, it is it is crazy the amount of money that you make very fast if you're decent at this, uh, but it's rare. And and this is what I tell people: I went from being a waiter. I was twenty six years old, waiting on tables, doing stand up comedy, and all of a sudden, I got a deal with the Disney company. I wish I had bought stock back then. I was 25 or 26 years old. And I I got a holding deal. A holding deal means that you literally are given money to not do anything while they decide what they're going to put you in. Oh, wow. It's called a holding deal. It's not work if you can get it, right? I got a $150,000 holding deal overnight. So I went from making a couple hundred dollars a week to getting a check for $150,000 at 25. I remember, I remember, uh, at 25 or 26. Yeah. And I'd been a waiter and all of a sudden I had a hundred. Now, if I had been smart, I would have invested it. 
But what I did is first I was like, this is going to age me. But that was back in the day when you would actually go into a bank and deposit. Right. You'd have to deposit it. I guess I didn't understand money because I expected as soon as I walked in that the teller would just start going down on me because I thought <laughs> I have $150,000. I'm, I'm one of the richest men in the world. And I walked in and I remember there was always a very attractive teller and I handed her the check and I remember going like, when is she going to look up and be like, well, we have to have dinner later. And she just ignored me and just stamped the check and, and I was like, you may want to – that wasn't $150. Like <laughs> Did you see all those zeros? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's amazing perspective when you understand wealth and you understand that like that's that's pocket change to a billionaire, right. you know, or a millionaire right. even. And so, but, but I remember. So, but all of a sudden $150,000. And then what I didn't do right was I was like, okay, now I'm just going to live off my $150,000. And then I and then I got lucky and got a couple other specials. Then I started making some money, and then I just put it in the bank. So um, I'm getting off topic, but what you would ask is like, so so so. I think if I had stayed single, I would have stayed in that vein, and I would have never invested because, well, well, who knows? Because age does do that to you, it right? Yeah. I am so impressed with young people that know to invest these days. I don't know how they know. I don't know how they think about their future. I, it's crazy to me that people think 30 years ahead because I never did. I just thought I'm going to be a stand-up comedian the rest of my life. I never even imagined doing that. So most comedians are dumb. Most of them are on a lot of drugs. Um, it is. Most of them sit in the hotel room and they get high all day. And then there's the outliers. There's the outliers like my friend Tom Papa, if you want to look him up. Tom Papa is one of the most interesting comedians in the world because he's he's also a businessman. And he know and he has invested his money. But, you know, for every one of him, there's a guy like Ralphie May, God bless yeah. his soul, who was just, you know, one of my best friends and just never thought about the future. And and, and as evidenced by his drug use and the way he ate and stuff, just never lived for, never thought about tomorrow. And I think that that's a talent that you gain. So, but I don't think many comedians gain that talent because I think that we're living for that moment, for that laugh. And we think it'll never end. It's when you have a kid and a wife who you have to put food on the table that all of a sudden I think it becomes more real to you. And if it doesn't, then, you know, your, your marriage and your kid are not going to last, I think. Well, so I, it, it's interesting because we were just going back to the earlier conversation about like wishing because I feel the same way as you do, Mitch. Like I wish I had bought bought Disney stock when I was twenty five, right, or bought any stock when I was twenty five because right. I feel like I missed out on all that time. But you know, I don't know. Do you ever wonder like if you had found this back then, maybe your career wouldn't have been what it was? You know, like you never well, know. It's like that. Uh, well, I'm going to give you guys my favorite story of all time. Because it's so heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking and it's so gross and it's going to make everybody upset. But maybe it'll get a laugh. So when I was 26 years old, I made my $150,000 and my dad was an investment advisor. That's what he did. Never got – me and him never spoke, talked. We were not close. He was into investing. He wanted me to go into business with him. I had no interest. I was going to be a comedian. That was a foreign world to him. I make $150,000. I don't remember the exact year, but maybe a few years after that, I call up my dad and I said, and we had never, we didn't have anything to talk about, but I was like, Hey, listen, 
I want you to buy me a stock. <laughs> and he goes, all right. I said, I'm going to send you some money. There's this company called Apple and they just made something called an iPhone. And I think it's going to be really big. And my dad said, let me look at the charts or whatever. And he's like, no, this company is just, is a terrible, this is a failure. This company's terrible. And I said, dad, I, I got this iPhone and I think this is going to, I think people are going to want these iPhones. And my dad goes, I'll buy you a hundred shares. It was $30 back then before any splits or anything. He bought me a hundred shares at $30 and it did good. About a year later, my dad called me and he said, he said, listen, your Apple stock did pretty good. Um, but it's not going to do better than that. It's not going to get more than $100 a share. It was at $30 a share at the time. And he said, I sold it all, and I bought you a company that can't fail. And that company is called AIG. Yeah, this was probably 2007. The iPhone came out in June of that year, so it's probably 2007. Okay, yeah. so that was it. So he bought me a company. And so what is AIG? He said, they're an insurance company. He said, I kind of really want that Apple stock. He said, trust me, I know what I'm doing. AIG went out of business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is this was and, they were it was really controversial because this is the one that the Fed basically refused to save shareholders. Right. Yeah. They floated the business. The federal mm-hmm. government basically took it over. Good. And shareholders lost like ninety eight percent. Yeah, that yeah. was me with my so, ask, so, I, so I hate now, your dad. Is that is that an appropriate response? Yeah. Well, we all hate my dad, and that's why <laughs> that's why I buried him with an iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> so he could text me what an idiot he is. Um, but my, my dad, before he died, said, "I kind of I can't do an impression of my dad, but uh, I, I think I was wrong about that Apple stock." <laughs> so, what's a hundred shares back in two thousand seven? What would a hundred shares be worth right now of Apple stock? I mean, I'd be, I wouldn't be, I I wouldn't be talking to you guys. I'd be on an island somewhere. Yeah, talking to us from an island. From obviously. an island, I'd fly you guys in. <laughs> we would do it live on an island. I like to say to myself that I was probably stupid enough that I probably would have sold it and bought a house somewhere along the line anyway because I wouldn't have never known it would go on to this kind. Of, or maybe I wouldn't have. I don't know. That's how I live. But that's my that's my story of my dad selling my Apple stock before it with me not telling him to. Um, but God bless him. So here's the numbers. You want, you want, you want to hear the number roughly? Yeah, I do want the roughly, numbers, Jason. Roughly. Sure. Yeah. Um, for every dollar that you bought in Apple that you lost 98 cents of in AIG, um, <laughs> you would have 387 dollars. To, that includes dividends. If you held through today. If I held through. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I have a beautiful son. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, and I love, I Derm named Tech. him Steve jobs. <laughs> I'm just saying, just buy Derm tech people. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Is AIG still, can you still oh, yeah. no, they're, buy? They're, they're, they're still around. They're back. They're back. I mean, it's okay. yeah. The federal yeah. government actually made a boatload of money. Ironically, so load the boat on AIG. There you go. There you go. Let's according to my let's do some let's do some lightning round stuff here. I've got we got some questions that we bounce off of you. We want to we want to ask. Sure, I love it. Let's 
Jeff, let's alternate. We'll alternate between some of the comedy stuff and some of the investing stuff. So first crossover question here. Yes. Who is, who is your Warren Buffett of comedians? That's an easy one. Uh, that would be Dane Cook. And the reason why it would be Dane Cook is because Dane Cook is a guy who I think would admit, like Warren, that he's not the most talented guy in the world, but he figured out uh, what people wanted and he, and he played it right. He, he knew that it was a business. He knew that it was a business. I think when none of us knew it was a business and we were just sitting at home writing jokes, we, you know, uh, Warren Buffett figured out a long time ago, it wasn't just a stock. It was, it was the way it was the portfolio. It was the way he did businesses and stuff. Dane realized early on, way before all of us, that this is a business. He got on MySpace before everybody knew who MySpace was. He figured out the next big thing. He stuck with those things through it. Um, and then he took off. And he taught me more than anything that investing, uh, that, that co comedy is a business. And that uh, it's not just the best joke writer. And I think Warren Buffett has proven it's not just the best stock picker. There's so many stocks that he's missed on. There's so, you know, and, and, and so I would absolutely say that someone like him is the Warren Buffett of comedy because he figured out how to make a lot of money with limited means. So let's stick in the same vein here. So we've got Warren Buffett, this, you know, nine, basically he's been buying stocks for a third of the entire history of the United States great track record. And then you have Jim Cramer, who's had some success as an investor, but is also the king right. of the noise, right? The king of ringing the bell, the buzzer, all, and it's hundreds and hundreds of stock ideas a year that come through his show. Who's the yeah. Jim Cramer of, of comedians? Okay. Who would be the Jim Cramer? I want to get you in trouble with anybody, any of your friends in the, in the business. Nah, I'm so, I'm so successful at this point. Nobody can hurt me. <laughs> Except my dad. Uh, so the guy who makes a lot of noise. God, that's just such a good question. I should have had that ready for you. Um, you know, geez, I would say, but this is kind of going to age me. I would say Andrew Dice Clay because Andrew Dice Clay is so over the top. Yeah. He, he, he has talent, but he's just become so much of a caricature of himself that it's not even funny anymore. I just recently saw Andrew Dice Clay perform. I actually opened for him and it's, he is just a lot of noise and, uh, an attitude, but there's not really anything there anymore. I, I'd be honest there you with go. you. That's, like he doesn't really make good that's, jokes. That says it. Uh, I think that, yeah. So I think there's just, you know, and I think that a lot of people are taken by his, by his bombasticness, but it, but underneath there's not much there. That's sad. Well, he's not going to, he's, he's not going to hire me anymore. He's still so. making money. <laughs> yeah. He's a Jew. He made there a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Jew too, so I can there you go. It. There you go. All right. So let's, let's go back to just kind of the pure com comedy stuff. Um, okay. You still, you still tour a little bit. You still, you've got some, some gigs. So you're still out there. Um, seeing comedians. Yeah, who's a comedian that, most people probably have no idea about, but you think they should, they should find out where he's going to be and they should go see. 
Oh, that's a great question because I think that the ones that I really love, I mean, the, the best comedians, the best comedians out there are still working. I mean, you know, I, I, and this may not be a popular choice. Well, well, here's something interesting. The best comedian working is people, people don't even remember who was a comedian, which was Ray Romano. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I started with Ray Romano when Ray Romano was a comedian and then he got the show, everybody loves yep. Raymond and he became known as Raymond. People forget that he had an amazing stand-up act. If there's some stand-up of him, if, I mean, I know people are going to go see him because he's famous, but just as stand-up, I mean, the, it's ironic. The people who are not playing Madison Square Garden, you know, Kevin Hart, God bless him. He's funny as hell. But there are comedians that that are fantastic. The people, I mean, you know, the best comedian working today is Brian Regan. Uh, Brian Regan, Louis C.K., uh, you know, these the, – the, as far as the new guys – Mm, I don't like a lot of the new comedy. I guess I'm one of those guys that's like talking about like the old eighties bands. And I'm like, that's when I used to make music. I mean, I came up in the eighties and nineties. That's where my comedy, you know, Dave Attell is still one of the best comedians working today. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he still sells as many tickets, but he should be working arenas. He's phenomenal. He's fabulous. You know, those, he's fabulous. And, uh, and, and he's still a great writer. And, uh, you know, so so I'm going to go back to some of my old friends and stuff that were that that, that are still doing comedy and doing it better than ever. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're going to I mean, people are going to go see Ray Romano because he's famous. But I would say go see Ray Romano because you don't realize what a great comedian he actually is. And sometimes it's kind of sad because they get so famous. I remember when people didn't know who Ray Romano was and he would just walk on and he was very nondescript. He was very, and he would just start talking and all of a sudden you're just laughing. Louis CK at first, he was just a big overweight red headed guy go on stage and you didn't know what to expect. And all of a sudden you find yourself crying. Uh, I miss those days when, when people didn't know those guys. I was going to say, I wanted to pivot to some of the rapid fire stock questions. All right, Mitch, what's, What's top of your watch list? What's a stock that you don't own yet, but you are really interested in? Huh. Okay. A stock that I don't own yet that I'm really interested in. I got to be honest with you, man. I love the bios. I love the biotechs. I don't, they're just, they thrill me. I'm excited about them. Um, I've gotten to the point where I try not to, I try not to get too excited about things because I like to stick to my 20, but, um, and I also like, you know, Datadog I love because <laughs> I still think that that one's going to go flying up sooner or later. I, I agree with you. I love that company. Yes. Sam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love Datadog. Um, I love BNGO. I know that I made fun of it, but I still love their technology. Uh, I, I, I'm the kind of person, though, that just to be full disclosure, like I don't really have a watch list as much as I like, if I just like one, I just go in. I learned a long time ago, not to time the market, not to wait. I just buy it and I just hope for the best. And like I said, it's done kind of good for me. So we did an episode a couple of weeks ago where we talked about <laughs> stocks that we hate that we love, right? Okay. Stocks that we love. And then, but there's a reason we hate that we love them. Do you have any like that? Like you just love this stock but you're like, God, I hate that I love this stock. Like, I wish I didn't. PayPal. Yeah? Yeah, I love it and I hate it. I hate <laughs> it because it's so freaking boring. But it's such a good stock. I can't listen to the, you know, like I can't listen to the um, earnings and I love earnings calls. I get so excited about earnings calls. I'm such a nerd. 
uh, and I just I just start falling asleep during the PayPal earnings calls. And so that kind of stuff, you know, uh, I, I hate. Yeah, I hate. I love progeny, P G N Y, but they're just so. It's just their fertility glass. <laughs> it just doesn't do anything that exciting to me. So, but I love them. All right. Um, what's the last stock you sold? Oh my god! What a great question. Um, probably the last one that I got out of was Zoom. I probably sold my Zoom because I just I I guess was that, that another I was borrowed conviction down- one. Yeah, yeah, and it was also one of those things where I was like. It's just a camera, <laughs> like in my mind. I was like, it's a camera. And maybe I'm dumb about that, but I was like, I just, I have to be excited. I, quite honestly, another one that I, that I, that I hate to love is, is, you know, Alphabet. I hate that I own Goog and, uh, and I hate, I just hate it. But I, but I, I, how can you sell that one? How do you sell the biggest company maybe like next to app? I don't know. So I just, yeah. All right, I only have one more, Jason. Then we can we can wrap things up or go in a different direction. All right, so we're gonna make you do a, a, a make a prediction, even though that's not really what we do. So, twenty twenty three, do you think the market's gonna end up or down? Up, I think it's gonna I think it's gonna go up because all the noise says that everything's gonna crash, and I and I always have gotten the feeling that people are saying that because they want to buy my stocks cheap. That's one of the things I've learned. <laughs> Is I keep is like I finally figured out like they just want me to sell my stocks and I'm not going to do that. So so I think it is going to be up. Um, I'm proud of my my little uh, ETF that I formed because and you said this Jeff and it stuck with me, which is like I look at the bottom line now. I very rarely get mad. I, every week I go on and some of my stocks are doing great and some of them are doing bad, and I just look at that bottom number of what I did for the week. Um, and then I, and I get excited. I'm like, Oh, look at that. Derm tech went up with 80%. I don't, you know, and so, uh, I, I'm going to predict that it goes up and then I'm going to predict it goes down in 2024. Wow. Two year prediction. I like yeah. it. I like it. There you have it. Whatever my dad would do, I want to do the opposite. Fantastic. <laughs> I think that he would have said the opposite. So I'm just switching. It. I buy Apple every day. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, Mitch. Really appreciate you coming on. This has been a lot of fun. This was so much fun for me. I could talk about this all the time. So if you guys want to do it again, please ask. I'm, I'm always happy to do this. It's fun for me. So again, Mitch Fatel. You can find Mitch still touring. You can find him at MitchFatel.com. Yes. But also, Mitch, you, you, you've got a new special, a new comedy special that's out there. Yes. I, so for my old fans, I have a whole bunch of new material. I have a new special called Bad Girls. It's available on my website. It's like a rental of $1.99 or something. That's how people do it these days. I think it's my – for all my old fans or new fans coming on, it's kind of my newer material about now being a married comedian and how my wife is a bad girl and she's way more than I can handle. And it's kind of my favorite stuff I've ever done. So if people are interested, go to MitchFatel.com and you can see my new special. And then follow me on Twitter, at MitchFatel and – I get a lot of people mad on Twitter because I'm just having fun on there. So that kind of stuff is fun for me. So Jeff, Jeff, here's the, here's the question. Jeff and I were talking and you, you kind of got your first kind of notable start in, in being funny in front of other people um, as an intern for Howard Stern. And to bring things full circle, you found this new passion in life. And if you're interested 
we are um, we are going to be looking for an intern for the for the Smattering Podcast. So just throw your name in the hat and let us know if you're. Well, you are way more successful than Howard Stern, so I think I'd be way too nervous. Yeah, being around I get, you guys. I get it. I do. I do. I yeah. can expect that. I think I would just drop a lot of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's how we think of ourselves too, as way more successful than Howard yeah. Stern. That's usually how we right. how we describe our. It podcast. was almost our tagline. Yeah, I almost. was I was an intern on Howard Stern show. He was my hero. I loved him so much. And uh, one day on the air, he said to me, uh, "What do you want to do?" And I said, "I'm going to be a stand-up comedian." And he said, "Oh, good, good, good." And I walked out of the studio, and he said to Robin, "I remember this till the day I die." He said to Robin, "I feel so bad for that kid." Because he wants to be a stand-up comedian, and he's got absolutely zero talent. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and I remember thinking, that's worse than my dad selling my Apple stock, like thinking back. And then to his credit, I got on the Letterman show, and he saw me that night, invited me into the studio the next day. And I remember him saying, I was wrong. That's awesome. He said, I, he said, I was wrong. You're, you're really funny. And I said, that was the culmination. That was all I ever needed. I could have died happy right at that moment. He's right. Mitch Patel, ladies and gentlemen, he is really funny. Once again, Mitch, appreciate you coming on. Okay, friends, just want to remind you, Jeff and I do love to answer these hard questions about investing. So you got to find your own answers out there. You can do it. I believe in you. All right, Jeff, we'll see you next time. See you next time.